0: Hello again, friends. Welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Hope everyone's been well. I know it's been a bit, uh, but here I am. And I thought I'd just come on here today, just riff a little bit because I don't really know what I have to talk about. But uh, I did get out for a wicked ride today down the Legacy Trail in Invermere with uh, my friend Tabitha Paul and her friend Daryl. It was great. It was just really nice to get out and pedal. And uh, Tabitha has been struggling with those of you who follow her just struggling with a, an, a pretty major ankle issue that she's trying to recover from an ankle injury that she's trying to recover from. And so she was super stoked to get out for a pedal and just move through nature. It was really nice. Uh, legacy is just a paved trail. It's one of those community connector trails. Like the, is it called the North star in Cranbrook or I think legacy trail in between Canmore and Banff, like, you know, those trails um, connecting communities. And a lot of people complain about it because it's pretty punchy. Usually road bikers, I don't know what it is with road bikers. Why Why does it have to be so consistent? I guess I understand. But the 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 Legacy Trail feels like a bikepacking trail <laughs> because it's just kind of steep and punchy in spots and uh, steep corners. And yeah, it's it's a pr- I, I think it's a fun trail to ride. But all in all, if you go from the start of the trail in Invermere, well, from in downtown Invermere, say, to Fairmont and back, it's about 58K, I guess, 56. I can't remember what my wahoo said but yeah it was super nice to get out a little bit of rain to start but yeah lots of people out there using the trail lots of e-bikes i notice and uh but really not anyone around like you can definitely feel that it's the um that summer has waned and we're getting into a new season and you see people pulling boats out of the water and um the population on the trails is getting thinner and i guess it's really a good time for the locals to take advantage of this place cuz man it sure does get inundated with uh tourists but so it keeps the keeps it rolling right i uh have some really grim news to share i my coffee press died <laughs> it had a full on blowout the other morning i was making coffee and I, i've been i've been french pressing coffee for 30 years you know sometimes dabble with pour overs and drips and whatnot but i just always pressed i always go back to the coffee press and my 51 ounce one cracked and i fixed it with gorilla tape um and then uh oh that's my uh bluetooth speaker making noise over there god i'm just yeah i'm just falling off the recording game lately but mistakes uh, you will uh, i'll comment and I'll, I'll comment on it later but the audio in this is, is bad. I think I've had my levels too high when I was, when I was recording. Um, but I digress. Yeah. So my friend Lori gave me a new coffee press. It's a smaller one, but I think that it's just the bottom one, the glass with the plunger. And, uh, I wanted to thank her for that because I drink coffee every single day. It's such a ritual, right? Um, and I, I love coffee. I used to roast coffee folks who you know that, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat discerning, but sometimes I just can't afford it. <laughs> I can't afford good coffee, man. It's like 20 bucks a pound. It's crazy. I get it. But uh, yeah. So anyway, Laurie, thank you for that. You'll notice at the beginning of this episode, there was no voice intro, which is unacceptable to me. So <laughs> I need you people to, uh, that's a bit aggressive, isn't it? Um, if you want to leave me a voice intro, you can. You can whip out your device, record me something, and send it to back 40 podcast at gmail.com. I also want to talk about Jay Peterberry. What a bummer, eh? Like on this awesome ride of the great divide mountain bike route starting in Jasper and he gets down to Salida and he gets hit by a car. And then as a the story came out, um, he posted a a picture or his a poster because, um, he has someone else posting for him right now. Um, posted uh, a picture of his bike and it's just devastated. <laughs> it's just, he got hit, looked like he got hit so hard. And uh, that really sucks, man. And and I know he's, you know, that dude's a tank. I think he takes such good care of himself and he's always working out and training and, and he's, he's always getting after it. So I think that alone um, really protected him in the collision. Uh, At first I was, I was under the understanding. I had the understanding that the person had taken off, but that's not the case. They stayed and reported it and stayed on scene, which is uh, certainly heartwarming because you hear a lot of that not happening where people are just getting run down or run off the road. Actually the Daryl who I was riding with today was commenting on uh, just riding on West side road proper rather than riding on the trail and trucks and cars will actually run you off the road um, or come up start come really close to you and yell something at you get off the road use the trail blah blah and it's like dude we're on a bike like have a little fucking respect you know um, and it's just gonna it's one of those times where the guy's gonna be an asshole and come too close clip a bar and then suddenly you're under the rear wheels right it's like come on drivers like fucking think about it I know, sorry I got on, on a bit of a Fucking tangent there, <laughs> but yeah, when when I saw the 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 bike and how beat up and damaged it was, it was like holy shit. You know, I think we're all super lucky um, that Jay's still around, right? It's it's like the, the, the collision with a car can be devastating. So yeah, it really took me by surprise. I just talked to the dude like what a week ago, and did a podcast with him, and then suddenly he's in the hospital getting surgery and getting fixed up. So. Uh, beha uh, on behalf of all the Back 40 community, I, I know I can say it's like, Jay, we're sending you so much love and awesome, super healing vibes that you come out of this okay. It looks like you are. It looks like you're doing all right. So uh, anyway, we're glad you're still around, Jay. Love you, buddy. I want to thank one of the longest running sponsors of the My Back 40 podcast, and that's Dynamic Cyclist. Don't fast forward. Please use the coupon code MB40, and you're going to save 25% off strength training, injury prevention, stretching and mobility, and bonus programs like ride challenges and coaching and in, like, it's just an amazing, amazing program. And you can have it all in the palm of your hand with the dynamic cyclist app. So don't forget dynamiccyclist.com use the code MB40 at checkout and you're going to save 25% and you're going to feel better on the bike and you're going to feel stronger. I want to thank Redshift Sports for being a sponsor of the show. I've been running their uh, shock stop suspension seat post uh, since the winter, and I fucking love that thing. Even on the fat bike, I love it. It kind of, uh, depending on where you ride, you know, there's a whole mix of places you can fat bike now. Uh, going on a fat bike tangent. But, uh, you know, there's groom, there's snowshoe pack, there's boot pack, there's, you know, all sorts of different trail conditions. And what I find is the seat post on the fat bike, although you're running those low pressures, and it sucks up a lot of that stuff, it really takes the edge off on when you're riding like, say, a couple miles of post holes in the trail that was just groomed a couple days ago. <laughs> it happens and it sucks. But you know, it's a great tool to have on your bike. So I want to thank them again. If you want to order one of their seat posts or check out their shock stop suspension stem, you can go to redshiftsports.com and you can drop the code MB40 and you're going to save 15%. All right, I think it would be appropriate right now to thank uh, to not to thank, but to shout out to Trish Holt. Well, thanks Trish actually for being badass, but also for finishing the 900 mile Big Sky Spectacular in Montana, And um, I'm just going to say she posted a thing before she went. She wanted to thank a bunch of people. I'm going to shout them out. Big Sky Spectacular, 900 miles on Montana's rugged and natural charm. And she wanted to thank Cycling 101, Ryan Draper, sponsor of the show, Pepper and her team, Shift Happens, Bicycle Repair, Lori Ann Wenser, Jay at Autolus, Cody at Flexion Bike Fit, and I'm going to mispronounce your last name, Jeff. I should know this, but Havoc Spec. Uh, Jeff made her a uh, awesome bag. So she's full of gratitude and she did awesome. I think there were only three finishers. There were six starters. Uh, and she was, I think she came in third after two people that I think were right riding in a team. I think that's kind of the information that I got, but man, that is awesome. Like Trish, good job. I know she trains hard and she's a super passionate cyclist and, Gets after it all the time. So, Trish, super proud of you. And uh, you know what, man? It just makes you think just how awesome this community is. <laughs> I don't know if I've talked about it recently, but man, it's just so supportive. It's, you know, people um, tackle these challenges, these life challenges, and they're fucking big they're super challenging and to not just the logistics of getting to these places and uh, what you're going to pack and what you're going to ride, make sure your bike's up to snuff. Uh, but then, to, then, then just the, the challenge of the route itself, right? It's just to go outside your comfort zone is just super important. And what's really cool is that this community is just always so supportive of one another. And uh, I think that's, what's really great about this community, My My Back 40 community, you guys are just, guys and girls are all just awesome. I was actually corrected the other day that I shouldn't be using guys anymore. And it's hard to change things when it's part of your vernacular. You know, it's super hard, but I'm gonna try. So you people out in the My Back 40 community, you are fucking awesome. And thank you for just making this community awesome. I don't know if you can hear it, but there's like kids outside my door. Can you hear it? can't tell if I can hear that through my mic or through my headphones but it's one thing I love about this place this apartment when I first moved here after I separated I was devastated like I was super it was super devastating here's something I didn't plan to talk about so here you go um you know it was such a pivot in life like I knew things were hard and you know I was doing my best to to make things better Uh, but then when the pivot happened it was kind of still shocking even though you know, I I knew something was gonna happen like this eventually. But, you know, when I moved in here I felt as a man, I just felt defeated. Not defeated. I felt shameful. Um because I just felt like, you know, I was another another man with a broken marriage kind of thing. And um yeah, just feeling a bit of shame and a bit of fear, a lot of fear, because, you know, the next the the future you know, the when something pivots a certain way you know, when you've been on a straight and narrow, for, not straight and narrow, but you know, when you've been on a kind of a fairly straight path and then y- y- you can kind of see the future a little bit through that. Um, but then when there are issues and stuff's going weird and then there's a hard pivot in your life, it's like the future is so unknown. And I think that's what's so scary. And uh, I overthink that a whole lot. But, you know, after I spent a bunch of time here and my kids started spending time here, what I love about this little community I live in now. I mean, I'm in Vermeer. I just, I've moved across town. And what I want to say is just, it's great that there's all these kids around, you know, these kids, uh, they have like this, this, this group of kids around here, ages like, um, Jasper might be the oldest kid actually, but you know, from four to 10, right. And they're all playing with one another. And I think it's so valuable, you know, older kids playing with younger kids and, you know, they, they learn how to play differently with the younger kids than they do with the older kids. Uh, And sometimes there's blowouts and kind of fights, but they, they all just get together. And then it's, it's, it's just like, I was talking to a buddy today, you know, who was going through some relationship issues and now he's on the upswing, his relationships on the upswing, right? So it's, it's life is this, these series of, of ups and downs and roller coasters and, and it's just at one moment it can go moment to moment. It could you could be on top of the world and then get an email that, that sends you down to the bottom again. Right. It's just this this repeating pattern. And, you know, to try to have the coping skills to to deal with that is uh it's takes a lot of work <laughs> to deal with it. So um I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, I see some of the kids playing in the window right now. So funny. Waiting for the fight to ensue. They'll have to go out. Hey, you kids, keep it down out here. I'm trying to do a podcast. Okay, to tell. Anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but it, it was just like, um, I get. I guess, you know, the point is I moved in here and then it seemed like it was kind of the end, end of things. And then suddenly it's just, there's this fresh kind of feeling of a beginning here, you know? Like, uh, know, a lot of people are going through like, shitty times right now. And the more people I talk to about what, um, or the, where my life has changed and everyone's got stuff. And, and oftentimes, um, people's other stuff is way worse than your stuff. And, and that's, that's not, I not I'm not happy about that, but it kind of supports the adage that it could always be worse, you know? Um, and I know it's hard to see that when you're inside the box, when you're kind of having a rough time and, and, um, You know, you may have isolated yourself and you're not talking to people the way you should and you might not know what's going on in the world, but then there's always going to be an upswing, you know, if you just stay focused and um, keep trying to just show up better every day. (laughs) I mean, it can only get better, right? So, um, yeah, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I was kind of feeling, uh, feeling like I wanted to talk about that. All right, so let's pick it back up and talk about today's podcast guest. It's Fred Chagnon. I think I did that right. It's basically like S C H A G N O N, like I think it's like Bonnie's last name, Gagnon. His is Fred Chagnon. We had a great conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Um, what was fun is that he reached out to me randomly. I don't know, it might have been a few weeks ago now. And he wanted to talk about randonneering. And it's something that really doesn't come up on the my back 40 podcast that often. And what is it? Uh, how, how is it different than bikepacking or in how in, in, what ways is it the same? Um, there's a lot more organization around it. There's uh, uh it's just a really cool, interesting culture that I think bikepackers will certainly relate to because really it's kind of the same, only different. And, uh, my buddy Jocelyn De La Rosa, who I talked to uh, on the last podcast, um, he's a Randonneur as well. And he just finished uh, Paris Breast Paris, but I don't know the time. Damn it, I should look that up. Maybe while I'm yabbering. But the other cool thing about talking to Fred was that uh, he's, I learned this like 10 minutes before the podcast because I was thinking, I think I'm going to go into this cold. I'm going to go into this cold and just kind of see where it goes. And uh, they used to scare the shit out of me going in cold. but uh, But now I find that it's uh, a really cool way to really get to know somebody and uh, this podcast was no exception. So yeah, 10 minutes before I learned he was a, a musician, plays drums and guitar. So we geek-, geek out a little bit on music at first and he's also um, um, he's a uh, IT security expert, uh, IT <laughs> security professional. We talk a little bit. We kind of geek out on computers a little bit as well before we get into randonneering, but... Um, I like I wanted to leave it in because I think it just he's just a cool dude. And I don't want you to get to know Fred. And uh, and if randoneering is something you're curious about too and you might want to give it a try sometime, you'll learn in this podcast how to go about learning more about randoneering and the similar similarities it has to bikepacking. So uh, without further delay, I bring you Fred Chagnon.
1: What's going on?
0: Hey Fred, how are you?
1: Doing well, doing well.
0: Awesome. Sorry, sorry, it's so late, brother.
1: Oh, that's fine. I ain't got nothing to do.
0: Are you like, Are you a night owl or? Yeah.
1: Well, until my cat wakes me up at huh. like five in the morning. Fucking cats.
0: <clears throat> Pay attention to me. I'm just setting levels. How well, pr- I
1: start. I think that's that's when I start to rustle in my oh. sleep, and then my cat makes for damn sure that I don't uh, fall back to sleep because it's f- food time.
0: Do you have are you a restless sleeper? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'm super restless. I've been getting up at like <clears throat> waking up, not getting up, but I wake up at like three in the morning all the time. Yeah. Like three, three thirty, and it's like book and then monkey mind. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. yep, and yeah, and then my brain goes on so I have a few um uh audiobooks or podcasts that I throw on just to like Basically, it's like running interference against my brain. Totally. Um, like I can't think about stuff if if there's stuff coming at me. Uh, so yeah, it's a coping mechanism.
0: Yeah. What was, <clears> I, what was I listening to last night? I put on. Uh, actually, you're a tech guy. Uh, Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It's it's a really interesting book about AI and how it's how it could basically like take over the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how we have to be super careful that it doesn't take over the world. Yeah. And then what was I listening to? Have you, uh, do you listen to Peter Atia?
1: I I know the name. I didn't yeah. even know there was something to listen to. Yeah.
0: He has a book called outlive and it's all about, Oh,
1: um, that's why I know the name. Yep. I have that book. It's a
0: great book. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. yeah, he's been on a number of podcasts. He has a podcast as well. Um, and okay. it's it's hard to okay. listen to. He dives deep. He dives really deep into physiology. So it's hard to listen to sometimes because it's. Is Greek. he
1: the one who came up with the concept of your health span has to outlast your lifespan?
0: Is yeah. That? Well, not not yeah, okay, not so necessarily it. that, but it's like he's a longevity guy. So he's like, we need to stop thinking about lifespan. It's not about living longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's about it's about living the best life possible. Where you know your lifeline will be instead of being like this, and then medicine and surgeries, that's and blah right, and, blah, that's and then right. death. It's yeah, like, no,
1: that that concept really took hold with me right at a time where, like, I don't know, I was watching my parents and my wife's parents get really old and mm. decrepit, and <laughs>
0: so yeah,
1: you know, we're both like super active now because we just want to, you know, reverse time as much as we can, right?
0: Yeah, and then just trying to eat right, and and what's yep. what's funny too <clears> about that is like one of his things about food is like. If your great grandma didn't d- wouldn't recognize the food, then you shouldn't eat it. So it's basically like, basically shop the perimeter, okay. right? Meat, <clears throat> meat, oh veg, yeah, this, yeah, dairy, yeah. You know, just that's where yeah. you should be. As soon as you go down the aisles, as everything's in a box, your great
1: grandmother would be like, "What's a Ritz Crack?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can make that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, well, um, thanks for reaching out to me. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it, and like I said before, it's like we're going in totally cold, and that's fine, and I love that. That's kind of my mo, anyway. Okay, I enjoy that. I've,
1: already, I've always appreciated that about uh, about your style. So oh, yeah.
0: thanks. And then, of course, uh, I find you on Facebook, and then you're a drummer and a guitar player. I just found that <laughs> out like literally ten minutes ago. So I started geeking out of that. That's I want to. I want to talk about I got, that. I
1: got an electronic drum set right there. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> what do you? What model? Yeah. Is that? That,
1: oh i don't even know it's a it's not a very good one um because i like i have a pearl uh set sitting in in storage and i was getting really tired of like setting it up and tearing Uh, it down and setting it up like it's like my drums are set up oh but we need to pull out the couch and we're having guests over and like oh so i gotta tear down my drum set and then it's months before i set it back up again because i want to play and then I have to take half an hour to get everything right. And it's then I have to tune it. And now I don't want to play anymore, but that's fine. It's set up now. And then somebody else is coming over and I got to take it down. And I'm just like, okay, why do I have this kit? Yeah. If I'm never going, like I haven't been on stage in that decade. Right. Like I was, well, you know, former life me. Uh, so yeah, the electronic set is nice. Cause I can, it's, it's right beside my desk. I can play it, you know, between meetings and no one knows cause I have a headset on and, it's 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 great, and I just get my sillies out. So now it's just oh, like man. a, it's just like a, a thing that I can do to just release, you know.
0: So. I I gotta set mine up. I have a <clears throat> I have a Roland TD four, um, mm-hmm. KX I think. So it's all mesh. Um,
1: yeah, those are nice.
0: But I beat the shit out of it. I think I I play too hard. Like you sound like you might be yeah. a more accomplished drummer. Um, uh,
1: I I'm really hard on the snare drum. So I, right. I, I was replacing that head a lot. Oh, That's yeah. another reason why I like the um, why I like the uh, the electronic set. It is... last longer. Or are, are yours pads?
0: Yeah. Pads or mesh heads? They're mesh heads. Right. They're they're so a bit they stronger. Yeah. Well, I put yeah. a hole in one. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> man. It must have been a good tune. <laughs> when uh, when I uh, when I got that kit, I uh, I took a year off from life. And yeah. all I did was ride bikes, smoke weed, and play drums. That's all I did. Oh, like,
1: that's a good year. It was
0: fucking beautiful. But I had a, I'm, a, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. So I had my, yeah, foo, yeah. I had do a Foo Fighters workout. And at that time, was Wasting Light Out at that time? It's been around for a while. That, but that's one of my favorite rock albums because.
1: I love drumming to the Pretender. That's just one of the, the ones that I, I, just, I just go to.
0: But just like the, that particular album is just so rock. It's it's just like, and it was recorded it was recorded analog as well, so it's super fun to listen to. Um, and you can even okay. hear you can even hear analog anomalies when you listen to it. Like it's just that's cool. Yeah, it's a great band. But yeah, I beat the shit out of those drums, and now I got to get mine set up. Now I just don't have a lot of space, and I need a rug. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I found that, so there were a few things that I had to do. So I used to have them behind me. Um, Because I found that everybody in these stupid online meetings today has like pretentious stuff behind them as if to say like, look at me, I'm a guitarist. Or look at me, I read, I read, uh, you know, live, love, pray or whatever that book is, you know, like, so I'm like, fine, I'll throw my, you know, half built mountain bike back there and then and then and a drum set and that's what you get to know about me. In the middle, but then like I sometimes get water in through that window there. Oh no! When it rains really really <laughs> hard. So I'm like that's exactly not where I want my, <laughs> my electronics. <laughs> <drops. Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> so I actually I actually might throw my pearl kit back there even if I never play it it'll be there. And well, I'll you put my guitars on the wall and then I can be pretentious like everybody else in every other meeting I go to.
0: If I if I had the space and the soundproofness, I would really prefer to have an analog or an acoustic kit. Just because I yeah. think I think it teaches you that nuance, and I think you can—I um, mean, the, the 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 electronic kits have a lot of nuance anyway. Um, at least mine does. Yeah, yeah. They're,
1: <clears throat> they're 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 not good for technique. I don't find they're they're good for like I just need to learn how to play this song. Right. Um, when when I when I was I remember like when my my youngest is 14 now, but when he was like a little baby, I actually had a gig that I was going to play but I couldn't practice at home because the only time I could practice was like when the little baby went to bed. Right. And then I had like a four year old running around the house too. So, so I asked, I borrowed an electronic set from my friend, um, so that I could practice for the gig in the basement, even though my real set was sitting right there and that's what I would use when I would go on stage. Um, but it was great for that cause I could play for hours and like all you could hear in the basement was just like, <laughs> 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 and, uh, and so like I got all the practice in that I needed. And then when I went to go give the the electronics, so I played the gig, even the guy who lent me the set, he like, he came to watch. And then after he's like, so are you done with my drums? I'm like, Oh no, absolutely. I'll bring him back to work tomorrow. He's like, you can have them for 200 bucks. And then, and then I had this moment where I was like, "But, but I have a set of drums. Why would I need your silly electronic set? No, yeah. here, take them back." And and for years, I was like, "He really just wanted me to have them. Like he really had no use for them. He found a use mm. for them in giving them to me, and he just wanted two hundred bucks for them. And why didn't I take that?" Um. And 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 just, it was for years. And I finally said to my wife, "Like I really just need to get an electric set because I don't play these ones anymore, and they're a pain in the ass." Yeah. So. So, I mean, if not for, if I still had that one, I would, that would be the crappy set that I would be using today because why well, get it something else again? Oh, I just need to, like, it's it's either this or I'm drumming on my desk or my steering wheel or the kitchen table or whatever. <laughs> so, like, I got to drum on something.
0: It's it's funny because it's like one of my, I'm I'm a bit of a RLS kind of fidgety guy. And I think I piss yeah. people off sometimes because if I'm, I'll just be like.
1: Oh, my leg's always moving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like tapping on
0: something just you have to do something yeah. all the yeah, time yeah. right
1: I, we would go it's like I, I commute with a buddy of mine anytime we go to one of these long bike rides um you know we're carpooling and like i'll just be driving and uh strumming on the on the steering wheel and he'll just be like tell me you're a drummer without telling me you're a drummer <laughs>
0: like, like even
1: even the gas pedals going you know like
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, as long as no, it's on beat. That's cool, and I—I I don't know, I—I I, um, I, like. Oh, fuck, we could talk about this for hours, and that's fine. We have lots of time, right?
1: I told you, I have when, all night.
0: When I was in when I was in school, I remember it was like grade six. I think it was grade six, and it was like, okay, music class, yay! And I was like, oh man, I want to play drums so bad, and <laughs> and uh, they didn't. Pick, I ended up with the trombone, and I'm not sure how it yeah, worked. I had a baritone.
1: You? Baritone. I, look, what, look, sure and it's it, the smallest kid in the class so I get the
0: but but uh but it was just like that you know it's when you think back in your life you think of these these paths that are laid before you where anything you know a certain thing could take you in a certain direction like i've also performed on stage like playing bass or guitar or whatever yeah. um but i've always wanted to be a drummer and and that moment by not getting in the school band as a drummer, it oh, basically uh, changed yeah. my trajectory a little bit, right? Yeah. I, I think, um, but uh, yeah. So, so when I when I had a bit of money and had that time off, it's like I'm gonna fucking buy a drum kit. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah, if you have a, a lot of you know just energy to get out, I, I find like I and mean, so guitar I do for different reasons, right? Yeah. It's more of a reflective, little quiet. I don't play electric; I play acoustic only. Yeah. So I'm more of like campfire, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. I, that stuff but uh i don't know every time i go to play a guitar i gotta work my calluses back in I'm like okay oh, i'm dude, good for two horrible. songs and then and then my fingers are bleeding and like, all right, no, i guess
0: all I-, I actually i have a i have a seagull like maybe a 30 year old seagull and it's actually has blood on the inside on the label right because i i didn't play with a, i don't really play with a pick i i would strum and with my finger yeah and uh yeah, I'd be playing at the campfire and getting into something and then people are like, dude, you're bleeding. It's like, ah, oh, that's fine. It's spraying blood all over the inside of the guitar. It's metal. <laughs> yeah, it's for the music, man. <laughs> My soul is bleeding. Yeah, My fingers exactly, are Yeah, Exactly. It's exactly it. Yeah, it's funny. We have kind of the same I, I I have an electric. I have a uh I actually bought it for a gay I played a uh there was a few years where I was in when I was living in Squamish. Some neighbors had a barbecue and um, I played drums one year and then guitar another year. And for that gig, I rented a, a Gibson Les Paul Studio electric for that gig. Yeah, and then I, nice. I ended up just oh, buying. Bon- nice. Well, it's it's like the low end of the Gibsons, right? Like it's not super Still, lacquered. It's a beautiful guitar, but I,
1: I have a Gibson replica looking guitar. Oh yeah, but I, I don't. Me, yeah.
0: I don't really shred on. I'm like a more of an acoustic guy, or even a ukulele. Yeah, guy, yeah, you know. Like I don't have yeah, the dexterity. If one would
1: teach me ukulele, I could get into
0: it. <laughs> oh, it's the cording's the worst because it's all yeah yeah. You're used My to cording. My both play ukulele. Oh, do they? Oh,
1: well, that's cool. Yeah, they learned it in school. It's I don't know. I think it's more. They, they find it's more accessible. I think than guitar. It's like the recorder of the string instrument.
0: I would say so as well. But it's but it's definitely one you can take. You could take that randonneuring or bike packing. You could take it with you.
1: Oh yeah yeah. yeah. I have a I have a travel guitar. Do actually. You? No, it's not. Uh, it it's not. Still very bike mountable. Is it that Martin,
0: like the Martin one? I mean, they had no,
1: but it's, it's got a really thin body, yeah. And uh, and and so it just travels really super light, like um, you know, and it sounds like crap because again, it's more just for I'm gonna practice Mm. drum patterns and fingering and stuff, and I'm not really performing, you know, I'm not gonna busk my way across Canada (laughs) with uh, with my travel guitar. Although, that I missed a flight in Calgary once, and we talked about that. So, anyway.
0: Oh, that's fun. Yeah, music, I think creativity is such a, um, a such an important part of life, I think, to be creative. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've always told my kids, I'd like you to have two hobbies, at least. One of them active, one of them creative, right? Yeah. And just, and, and just you know, so my son is, avid, well, he plays hockey in the winter. He, he mountain bikes right now, and he's into racing, which awesome. is fun yeah. and a little dangerous. Uh, so, like, <laughs> the parent in me is kind of like, am I doing, am I a good dad? Yes, yeah, so you are a fantastic dad. Um, but he also plays... <laughs> But he also plays the violin and and oh, nice. loves it. Very nice. So, um, and then my my eldest son uh, has always been actually really creative. And the challenge with my eldest son has always been finding an active hobby, right? Which, which with my youngest, it's like, no, you should do something creative as well. It's not just hockey and bikes. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so it was uh, climbing, rock climbing. Like right. uh, we have a sort of a like an indoor gym here that he's really taken to. So so that's what he does now so and and like he goes on the like rainiest days or the days where the bus is delayed because construction and he's still like no i gotta go climbing and i'm just like yes
0: yeah yeah especially if they're not yeah go ahead
1: just just you know it's like any obstacle in the world gets in the way and you go oh i guess i'm not going to the gym today or or whatever it is then it's not really a passion but if it's like no you'll move mountains to get to that thing you want to do then that that's when I'm like finally like he's found something, right? Yeah, yeah. So I and mean, that's not just like oh dad you can't drive me I guess I'm not going like, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't want to have to drive you. I want you out of the house.
0: That's funny. When I when I I grew up in Deep River Ontario and we had a little tiny riverbank ski hill and I remember I'd walk to the ski hill to go snowboarding. It's like yeah I didn't have a car at the time and my parents were busy doing something as well. So I just walk. I just walk there and it wasn't a, a short walk. It was actually quite a ways <laughs> went, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If it, you're passionate you got yourself
1: there. Yeah. 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 If you're exactly. passionate about a, it, you your passion it. for that thing that got you there. And so I've always wanted my kids to have that passion for both something creative and something active.
0: Yeah. yeah. My, my, my boy is a bit like that. He's very, um, he's not a super active dude, but he's very, very creative. So drawing comics, yeah. story writing, yeah. um, stop, stop action, uh, or stop motion movies, stuff like that. And, and, but, cool. but he's totally like me. He's just like, he's he, he just loses interest so fast. Like, which yeah, may, yeah. maybe is a serial hobbyist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe it's just an ADHD thing. Like maybe he just yeah, can't focus. And I'm a bit like that. I'm which, totally like that. Yeah. Which I think uh, like I I was an IT guy in my, in a, in a former life. And I think it was the mm-hmm. perfect job because it's like you could grind away on on configuring a router and then get a phone call and be like yeah. oh troubleshoot a printer and then oh, oh do i have to call.
1: become an expert in this thing tomorrow okay yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah You know, like yeah i think it's always done me really well you know like yeah. people say you don't you don't get in IT if you want to stop learning new things like
0: oh my god yeah it's constant right it's constant yeah where where are you where am i talking to you from where are you i'm in london you're in london okay and yeah, you're like a... fake london like Canadian. yeah <laughs> is that what you call it there oh i'm from fake. that's london. what we call it yeah, yeah well because like
1: i don't know it depends who i'm talking to i'll say i'm in london i'm like oh really i didn't realize like you're on it must be pretty late for you and i'm like yeah. oh no 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 <laughs> in my job i talk to a lot of americans yeah but they do uh. pick up a little bit of an accent and as soon as i say i'm in london then I have to explain it. It's that gas station between Detroit and Toronto, not like <laughs> London, England.
0: It's funny. You think, um, like, we think we don't have an accent, right? Like, I know. Oh,
1: kn- yeah. No, it's further south you go. I have an accent. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah I, I know I have an accent. And in fact, what I've noticed is, like, growing up in Ontario, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day speech, uh, speech patterns, right? Like, um, yeah. And you're in Ontario. I'm in BC. When I when I meet people from Ontario, I find that their rate of speech is super fast. You know, oh, really? and yeah. I I do yeah. that sometimes. I'll just get on a rant. I'll be that, talking super to fast. Me,
1: you got to go further east for that. You got to go to the, the yeah. times. So the that. and it's like it's like we get faster as we move east. I guess yeah. And and but kind ben, of Quebec is the same, by the way. Quebec is super like, but in French, but it's fast right
0: and it's it's kind of like both ways right it's like the further the further west you, go, you go, go 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 across and go right to hawaii people are like hey man what's going slow on Slow everyone's just i don't know if it's like the spin of is the it earth. like
1: that in the u.s right if you compare like new york to la like i don't know if they have the same dynamic it's certainly true uh, though i agree with what i you're think saying. So. Like life seems to slow down the more the more out west you go
0: yeah like so. california uh uh um Oregon like people yeah. on the, the the west coast See, tend yeah, to be all, like, yeah, yeah they tend to be a little more chill and the people in on the east coast are just like just, they're just driven yeah, tight, and
1: wound right up maybe
0: yeah I don't want to yeah. I don't want to offend any of our eastern listeners of course but it's it's just interesting how <laughs> how yeah and you'll talk to I'll get I'll get messages from people in the UK and, and it's like holy fuck slow down blah, 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 blah. they're just talking so fast <laughs> um that's a, a bit of a tangent anyway but uh And you are a security guy, like um, uh, IT security.
1: Yeah, I I think my background is really in IT infrastructure, but I've always had the leaning towards security. In fact, I I studied security for a long time in the early two thousands because I was really interested in the in the technical aspect of security, right? Like, you know, I wanted to be an ethical hacker and that sort of thing. Um, But but I very quickly discovered that like cybersecurity, back then as now, is also a lot more like governance and risk and compliance and I found that when I was you know in my 20s really boring mm. and also the personalities I would run up against who were not the kind of people I wanted to be working shoulder to shoulder with right it was a lot of like you know compliance officers and risk officers and auditors and like, I want to work with hackers right like yeah. we're foreign <laughs> yeah. uh, so I don't know I stuck with infrastructure and and did sysadmin type work and that was a lot more conducive to me. And then, you know, like now I'm, I'm, I I'm got more into like a consulting role, uh, did a lot of stuff in, uh, in infrastructure, but there's always just been like cybersecurity just always kind of been there in the periphery. And I just, I had an opportunity to just, you know, take a position where that would be my focus. And actually what they wanted was somebody who had a lot of IT ops experience. So I could research things like, I, like security automation um, and, and things that sort of blend the two worlds. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what I focus on now. And it's, it's never going to be not interesting. Uh, so I think I just took a while to just go, yeah, okay, fine. I'm going to go play in that field. Uh, because I don't think that's going away.
0: No, no. I think it's, if anything, it's getting,
1: uh, it's getting more interesting, which is like not a really great thing to say because to say it's getting more interesting means like you know like ooh attackers are getting more sophisticated they're getting more um they're more prevalent like th- it's like things are getting worse out there so cybersecurity is more interesting as a result and therefore job security is great oh, so like right. it, good for me but like bad for the, the planet for the world <laughs> like, yeah, bad for the I world don't want, I don't want ransomware everywhere um but you know uh it's it's a it's a career that i can uh i can make for myself so
0: yeah i think i I was basically an infrastructure guy as well and and the the guy above me was kind of more the security guy the firewall guy the you know yeah keeping tabs on that's where those
1: two worlds blended yeah yeah
0: and and um the more time went on you could and then once once you had the tools and this is what people need to realize So, so everyone's got like they've got their little um their cable modem, right? or their ADSL modem or their fiber yeah. box, call it a modem or whatever, in their house which is acting as a router. And if people knew how many times that that was getting hit on the outside, people oh, not, yeah, knocking was... on the door constantly trying to get in. If people yeah. knew that, it would it's scary, man. Like
1: Yeah, no, I I did give a talk where I just said, imagine if every time somebody attacked your home device there was a knock on your door. Yeah. You would never sleep.
0: No, it would be constantly, boom, 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 constantly right? knocking on the it's... door
1: scary yeah but it is for most part they're just knocks right yeah they're just knocks they're looking for a way in yeah. and if the if you don't open the door to that knock they're not getting in
0: yeah
1: once in a while they might break the glass right so
0: that's a good analogy it's, actually. Uh,
1: it's it, well it's it, and i have to give the same speech in uh november in arizona but to a bunch of executives and it's the same thing i just they just need to hear that like it's real out there um here's some things that are happening right now, just so that the next 20 minutes I spend talking, I've actually got your attention a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and you're trying to justify to them. It's like, okay, we, we need to buy this, this, uh, $20,000 edge device on your huge co- yeah, corporation. Yeah, yeah. I know it's a lot of money, but it's like, it's basically like putting a steel door, replacing your wood but, door with a steel door,
1: a lot of money paying ransomware attacks or, or reputational damage or right? yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So,
1: yeah um it's
0: uh yeah it's interesting yeah, it
1: it's it, 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 it it's weird because again uh like i wish the world were a better place and i didn't actually have to do this yeah. but while it's not it's at least super interesting
0: yeah cool and um, we live in interesting times we sure do and, and it's and i was just talking to actually you might get a kick out of this too um uh, one of my colleagues is young uh, actually a couple of my colleagues are pretty young they're they're under 30 like just just on the border. Of yeah, I a lot of those. And yeah. we were talking about, uh, I, I just brought up the, the idea of an 8-track. You know what an 8-track tape is? And they're like, no, I don't know what an 8-track tape is. And I was, it was like, they're like, you mean the one with the spools? It's was like, no, that's a cassette tape. No. Nope. 8-track. You have to go back. Yeah, go back. <laughs> oh, no, my mom had a tape player in her car. But anyway, on the same, so it was, I, I bring it up, Google it, that's an 8-track. I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it's like a video game cartridge. You shove it in the stereo. Right. Analog tape. But then it, we were we were talking about this other thing, this thing for work. And she's like reading. And she's like, what the hell is FTP? And I'm like, well, "Oh yeah, file. We don't forget about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, file, file transfer protocol. And this might be something you can answer. And I said, to be honest, it probably is still out there, but it's all front ended yeah. with with like when you drag and drop a bunch of files and drop it into your Google Drive is it using ftp that's,
1: pro- that's probably not ftp oh, but okay. like uh, if, if you read about the uh, the move it um hack there was a there, there's a company called well i don't know what the company's called but they produced a piece of software called move it which is just a glorified file transfer thing it yeah. used all sorts of protocols whatever was appropriate but it was a, something that mostly financial institutions like banks insurance companies would use to get files from one place to another um right back in the day you, you and I would just set up an ftp server or yeah. an SSA like sftp server or whatever to do it um, But so move it was just this gigantic front end for whatever protocol and and it was um, it was breached but yeah uh. it was just a lot of ftp
0: <laughs> yeah so it's just it was just interesting cuz it's like you know i grew up with the internet and some of these other people yeah. younger people they 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 grew up with iPhones like
1: you know. They grew up with Wi-Fi, like whatever that is. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's so yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. just this thing that exists in the air that connects into other things <laughs> yeah. that exist in the air. Like yeah,
0: like we used to have to like set that shit up and like yeah, like I was saying to someone, like I got the in 2007, I got the first iPhone, like the first gen iPhone from the states, and then I was like command line hacking it with the instructions from the from the from the internet to try to hack the modem so it would work in Canada. Right. And I remember I'd walk right, down the right, street right. talking on the phone on that thing, and people were just like, What the fuck?
1: Where first did you get that? In <laughs> um, Probably not the first one my, in Canada, but both my father and my stepfather were really mechanical with like cars and stuff. And I remember them getting really, I'm still like, I'm just absolutely crappy at anything mechanical. It's amazing. I ride a bike. Um, I, I could get by with stuff, but I'm not great. Um, I was always really good with computers. And it would frustrate them that I wouldn't appreciate how a car worked, how an engine worked. You'd open the hood of a car and they'd be like, help me check the oil. And I would just be lost. And they would just be like, you are never going to be able to drive a car. And boy, I mean, boy, were they wrong, right? Like I can drive a car um, because I don't need to know that stuff to drive. A car. I don't even have to be an engineer to drive a car. And, and they drive and so themselves now, right? That's right, and so I can't take my expertise and say, my kid can't be on the internet unless they understand how how Wi-Fi works, right. unless they understand the TCP/IP protocol stack. You know, like, a, you know, like, I can't do that. But right. you know, if they have a computer problem, they have no idea yeah. how to fix it. Right? They just look at it and go, "Dad, my Steam account won't sync with my <laughs> PlayStation. Like, what do I do?" I'm like, "I don't know," but that sounds like a fun problem.
0: Did you, is it on? Is it plugged in? (laughs) Yeah,
1: let's, yeah, exactly. Like, so, you know, and yet I'll just, I'll just click, click, click. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was easy. I really wish you could have known that, you know, like, whatever. So I don't make them feel bad because again, I don't know anything about cars, so.
0: Yeah, whatever. I I try They'll to get,
1: know stuff that I don't know. Yeah, I know stuff they don't know. Yeah, exactly. My parents knew stuff I don't know. Exactly. So yeah, and
0: on we go. So people listening are like, "Is this going to be a fucking about bikes or is this about computers and drums?" And I <laughs> don't even know if any of what
1: we're talking about is going to be recorded. I'm just. Having this a, is all recorded.
0: Yeah, I love oh, it. Jesus, no, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, <laughs> you know me, you know my mo, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So you reached out to me because you 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 saw um. There's a gap in my podcast about randonneuring. and yeah, I, I well, don't even you know, know if I, I'm saying it right.
1: Well, it's a French word, you <laughs> right? know. There's only a specific way we can say this word. Um, so I, I like bike packing, and that's why I listen to your podcast. And but I, but I also really like randonneuring. and I think that, I mean there's a there's a big overlap between the two. So I thought um, I would reach out and, and say like if you if you haven't sort of addressed this overlap that there could be a wide variety of your audience that like me would appeal to both so i thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about like you know what what randonneering is maybe how it overlaps with bikepacking how it might be a little bit different um but i also think that there i mean the 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 randonneering clubs are everywhere and if people or if there's ever a case where Exactly. or it takes a whole weekend or or whatever i don't have a stove <laughs> whatever the reason is that area might be something that's close enough to give you that sense of adventure uh exploration all while riding your bicycle very far um that uh that's right on your doorstep
0: we just got disconnected a little bit there but i think what you were saying was that uh for folks who want to basically travel by bike that there's a crossover with the equipment right and they they don't necessarily yeah right and then so what is the actual what is the difference like is it road versus well, off-road or is because this has been a debate out there i remember a couple of years ago is bikepacking sure. touring touring's bike packing is it the same thing and it's <sighs> like i don't know like it, the the bike industry is has really exploded into different genres like we've got road we've got gravel yeah we've got mountain bikepacking i
1: feel like the bike industry hasn't hasn't discovered and tainted Randonneering. So maybe we're in luck, (laughs)
0: Um,
1: but there is an overlap. So let's, let's talk about maybe what's, what's the same Um, Randonneering, which by the way, is a French word. Uh, It's, it's French for hiking or Mm -hmm. rambling right so if you're if you're going on a hike you're going on a randonnée which makes you a randonneur or randonnes if you're female um so randonnering is the is is just that it's it's going out and and uh and doing stuff in this case it's riding your bike for really far so in that respect um it has that in in common with uh with traditional bike packing or what we accept as bike packing um but it's It's a non competitive form of ultra cycling so rendering events are not races, they are events, there is a group depart, so we have that concept we leave as a group. We're all covering the same course it's a prescribed course so we're given the course and the course has several checkpoints that we must pass through. And, uh, and so your job as a Randonneur really is to take this course and go, I'm going to complete this course in the time that I'm given, right? So I mentioned it's not a race, but there is a time limit. So there is still a concept of I need to get there and I need to get there not quickly because, but I need to get there eventually. So I love the balance that it's not a race. I don't have to hurry but I, it's not a tour. I do have to hurry the crap up, you know? So uh, a rendering event, there, there's also um, a lot more structure, I think, around them than, a, than maybe a traditional bikepacking uh, event or even just a sort of a bikepacking route. Like, for example, if I look at uh, the BT700, right? So the BT700, they give me a route in, in Ontario. They, I've got the route. Um, I also have the distance. And I can decide how to cover it myself. If the BT700 were instead, say, a 600-kilometer Brevet route, I would be given the same route. Um, It would be mostly on road. Um, The checkpoints would be specified for me. So I would say I'd have to go 50 kilometers to a Tim Hortons and then another 75 kilometers to a gas station. And then maybe uh, another 60 kilometers to uh, a, a pub or something like that. So I'd get these checkpoints that I would have to do, and my job as the randonneur is just to determine how am I going to do this in the most efficient way and to get it done in in the right amount of time. So the routes, uh the routes that we're given are all in the same sets of distances, right? It's either it you know they start at no less than two two hundred kilometers, right? It's not a randonneuring event if it's less than that, really um well they had they have they have events that are less than that they call them populares. but those are traditionally used for like warm-up events or training events but the traditional uh events uh, we call them brevets by the way that's another french word um, means certificate like as if you you complete the brevet you get a, a certificate so if you get a, a traditional fre- uh, brevet would be 200 kilometers at least um and you've got to complete that in 13 and a half hours right so if you do the math on that you're averaging a speed over the course of that route of only 15 kilometers an hour.
0: Which is kind of average, I mean, for a lot yeah. of, you know, mid-pack, bike packers are averaging about that speed.
1: And, and keeping in mind that you're going to stop along the way. You're really, your moving speed should be about 20, right? right. right. Uh, that gives you time for bathroom breaks, food fuel that sort of you know that sort of type stuff um you're moving about 22 kilometers an hour and now you've got time to change that flat tire or to you know fix that broken chain or whatever you know it happens so so you do you do want to move at a a relatively decent uh pace but this is not, you know, you're not going to be trying to hammer this thing out, you know, averaging 35 kilometers an hour over 200 and finishing in six hours. I mean, if you want to get the accomplishment, sure, uh, go ahead. But uh, the point of the, the Brevet, I feel, is I, I, I treat them all like compressed touring events. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody's given me a route and they've said, here, here's a bunch of things that you can see in a day. Right, if it's a two hundred kilometer and I'm gonna do it in thirteen ish hours, that's a that's a day, right? So here here's a bunch of sights to see in a day. You can't sit around long enough to really take it in. You can take that picture, you know, you can know that it's there, but uh, but then you gotta get on your bike and get moving again. But now, you know, I've done so many of these around Ontario now that like I know where things are in Ontario that I could take my family to mm. that I wouldn't have known they were there unless it was uh, a checkpoint on a Brevet that I had been on. So, so for that, I've really appreciated the, the sense of, of exploration that, that Hearing has given me, right? I've been to places in Ontario that the only reason I went there was because that's where the, that's where the event started, or that's where the, you know, the halfway point was or, or whatever.
0: And are, are they on-road or off-road? Or is that a combo? Or... They are mostly
1: on-road. on-road. Okay. So, <clears throat> so it's, the like a traditional randonneuring bike is is a lot like a touring bike right it's it's usually a slack geometry road bike um more like an all-road bike i think that's the the term the uh the industry is using these days because i mean we have so much construction now that uh, you never know when you're going to hit a patch of gravel right mm-hmm. so <clears throat> you do want to be able to absorb some you know and some of these places can be pretty remote so you know road conditions are going to be full of potholes or whatever so so i wouldn't go out there with anything less than 25c tires i ride 32 to 38 depending on what i happen to be riding that day that's uh but that's that's sort of you know my style but the but you are you know more on the road very occasionally i've had uh these brevets take me through a rail trail through a multi-use path or some kind of other surface like that but uh not the kind of you know fire road single track uh out of traffic thing that you would see on on something like like you know the uh the log driver's waltz or anything like that it wouldn't uh it wouldn't it wouldn't be that kind of terrain
0: i like the idea of having a cutoff time you know because it it's still it's it's and they, they don't seem to be super high pressure cutoff times, but it's like, from what little I know about them, but it kind of it at least gives you that a little bit of urgency. So it kind of makes it more of a rapid touring. That's right. Kind of that's thing. right. And-
1: it, it It really is about safety too, right? So traditionally, these events would be staffed. Um, like when they were originally run in, in France where this whole thing started, it was every, the idea was that the, the Brevet, the event itself was staffed at the beginning. You'd be given, um, you're given a, a Brevet card, almost like a, a passport that you carry with you. So you've got to get that stamped at all these checkpoints. Well, when it's staffed, that's easy. You show up at the, you know, the arena or wherever it is and you, somebody stamps it and on you go. Um, and so the cutoff points, which which apply both to the controls, those checkpoints, as well as to the end, are meant to allow the staff a time to go, okay, we can go home now. It's time, you know, this control is closed, it's time to go home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, so there's that. And to make sure that there's nobody left out on the course, or if you know that, you know, so-and-so hasn't checked in at the end by 13 and a half hours that you know that there's somebody still out there. So that was you know, that that's sort of where that that tradition has come from. The way that brevets are run, now unstaffed and, and kind of where everything's self supported, it's still the the cutoff time has to be Um, adhered to your control card is signed not by a staff member but you know usually you get you get that you know gas station attendant to sign it you get the waitress at the uh the pub to sign it you get you know the the guy who wanders up and says oh look at the way your bike is packed it looks like you're riding really far and i'll say yeah no i'm i am i've been you know i'm 250 kilometers into a a 400 Um, by the way could you sign this card you know and you you talk to them about it and so so uh that's all part of of the sport but uh yeah the the cutoff time is really just to give you that to to put that that low flame under your your butt while you're riding to just kind of keep you Because, you know sometimes uh sometimes you you might want to stick around if you're going through a bad mental patch,
0: yeah, you know it's interesting too it, it it knowing more about it it's there's there's a there's a similarity between like the Silk Road and the Atlas Mountain race. It's almost like a bike packing slash randonneuring because, because yeah, there's there's checkpoints. There's um, mm-hmm. your check mm-hmm. your card. Uh, what would you call it? A passport?
1: Uh, yeah, a control card. Control
0: yeah, card. So card. Yeah. yeah, so as you're moving along, you need to get these checkpoints. So it's it's Nelson has done an interesting thing with that. Maybe maybe that was intentional. It,
1: it could be. I mean, I've even heard like, like if you think of the, uh, the transcontinental in Europe, um, they use the concept of brevet cards. I think they even call them that they might call them control cards, but, um, in, in that event, you still need to get to, I think, five or six checkpoints in that, uh, race that, uh, and, and have your, your passport stamped along the way as proof of passage. The difference with, uh, with that event is you're making up your own route Ooh, and, sad. uh, yeah. And it is an actual race, right? Whereas in randoneering it's, you're not making up your route. And if you deviate from the route for reasons of like, I have to go to the bike shop to get a new crank or whatever, like, um, I have to come back to the route where I left it to resume the, the full route. So the challenge there is more about the navigation I feel and, and, and just time management, right. Be fast off the bike. Um, and, uh, And, you know, don't dilly dally at those controls because that's where your time ends up going.
0: Oh, it's such a time suck. Like I know just from the like the the events I've done, I was always shocked with the amount of stop time, you know, and some of it's intentional. Some of it's like, I just need a break. I just need to get off the bike for like maybe a half an hour and just not do anything. I think um, that's the discipline.
1: Is when you decide yeah. that it's intentional versus you realize, oh my God, I've been here two hours. <laughs> yeah. um, that's happened as well. That <laughs> it, it, it happened to me, uh, yeah, in in April. And you know, I find that it, it, that happens with the you know the larger groups that I travel with. Right, you end up sort of following what the group is doing. That's one of the things I love about Airing it being not a race is it, it, turn, it can turn into kind of a group ride where you, know, you end up riding with a pack of others who ride kind of at the same speed as you. And, and then you, you, know, you just end up kind of sharing the road. And it could be for a piece of, of, the, uh, of the route or it could be for, for the entire thing, right? Um, I was on a, a 600 kilometer ride um, in early May this year. And it started, it was a, it was, it wasn't a loop like many of them are. It was a, it was a kind of a point to point. It actually retraced the steps of a something called the Great Canada Bicycle. Uh, yeah. Great Canada Bicycle Tour um, that happened in 1883 by a bunch oh. of folks in Chicago oh, fun. that uh, did it on their, on their, on their high wheel bikes. So, so Crazy. one of our club members designed uh, a Brevet route that would retrace the steps of this and it went from windsor to london up to godrich and then down through stratford to hamilton and it ended in burlington so anybody who knows their ontario geography knows that's that's like half the province yeah so so we ended up riding uh, that leg from windsor to london It was, it was like a, it was a group of like 12 of us, there were 30 people on this ride, but a group of 12 of us stuck together because we were in this massive headwind and we ended up doing like this continuous rotating, uh, uh, you know, kind of rotating peloton uh, kind of formation, which was really good to battle the wind. A lot of the folks that were doing this had never done any group riding because rent and airs come from all walks of cycling life, right? Some of them could be, you know, commuters, others are avid group riders, but getting everybody to work together in this, in this fashion was like the only way to beat the wind for 50 kilometers that afternoon. And if, uh, and if you didn't, then you were working alone, uh, against the wind and, you know, that's no fun. So that was a, that was a fun moment. Um, so man. so a
0: difference i hear there though is like with packing, you 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 can ride in groups but you can't help each other right like you can't right you can't draft like you couldn't get into a a peloton and, and... because
1: that's that's what happens when you make it a race right so when i'm right. not competing with the guy next to me yeah. uh we can help each other now there are there are rules about drafting i can't draft other cyclists that are not part of my event right um because again, well, like like the rules of self-support and, and all of that, it's still about making a, le- a level playing field, right? If I finish the ride in eight hours and you finish the ride in nine hours, like we still have to have, have had the same experience. Um, so... so I can't draft, uh, if I come across a, a Peloton of Saturday riders that are just moving at a great clip, I can't hop on their wheel and go like that's, that violates the principles of, mm. uh, of self-support in the same way, but I can work together with other random Um, it is very much a self-supported, uh, things so like I have to bring, you know, all my own gear with me, but if I'm at the side of the road with a flat tire and you pull over and you're like, Hey man, like you need anything? Like I got a, some CO2, um, you can help me. I can accept your help. But, you know, again, where, where that becomes an issue is if you pull over and you offer me CO2 because I didn't have a pump and I didn't have CO2 no. and I had no way of inflating my tire. Well, I've kind of myself sort of violated the rules of self support. Right. So so that's that's where I would say that that line is crossed. Um, right you if, if 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 i find you and you're kind of turned around and you don't know which way to go is it because you don't have the route or is it just because your gps blew up and you're trying to figure out now the route sheet at least i can see there that you have everything you need and maybe you just need a nudge you know um so so rendering because it's not competitive uh, builds a lot of camaraderie mm. nobody everybody wants everybody else to succeed nobody wants anybody on the ride to uh to you know to not finish uh and again so i so i like i really like that about uh about this event
0: i think what it um i just lost my train of thought the idea of making it a social like it's it's just like a big group ride right kind of thing like yeah yeah, it's and it 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 sounds very social Um, bikepacking is also very social i find um, it,
1: it can be, but there are also those who are attracted to randonneering because it can be very, like, like solo. Mm. And and there's, so there's room. I don't. Want, so I want to make sure that it's clear. Like there's there's room for both, right? right? If you like riding on your own, randonneering is a great sport for you. If you like riding with others, randonneering is a great sport for you as well. Um, and and those people know who who they all are, right? I know who in in my local club. Um, will tend to ride alone and uh, and I know who i 'm going to be riding
0: with yeah that 's cool I, I i'm you know i I'm, I'm glad i 'm kind of up to speed on it now do you know I, actually did I put that podcast out yet? no, it goes out on monday I talked to Jocelyn uh, de La rosa he 's a he 's okay. also a randonneur. he just finished breast paris breast or Paris, yeah, yeah Paris, Paris, just Paris. On.
1: I wanted, yeah, I wanted to talk about Paris, brest Paris for sure. Yeah. So is that um, kind
0: of like one of the one of the like the roots of Randonneuring?
1: Yeah, it it, it certainly is. Um, Paris, brest Paris is the is the grand randonnée of the sport. It's a twelve hundred kilometer ride that takes place in Paris every four years. So kind of like the Olympics, right? Um, you have to qualify for it. Oh, interesting, and the. Yeah, and the way you qualify for it is within the year that PBP takes place. So again, it just finished now here in August. Uh, so within this year of 2023, to qualify for it, you would have had to complete a, a, a super randonneur series, right? So that's a 200 kilometer brevet, a 300 kilometer brevet, a 400 kilometer brevet, and a 600 kilometer brevet. So so you so everybody who had the intent to go to pvp this year would have had as their goals to do at least those four distances um they're and so they're progressive you don't have to do them in that order but you should do them in that order because mm. you know that you do a 200 now you're ready to do a 300 now you can do a 400 now you do you know and you do a 600 and then you go to Paris and you double that right so it's a bit yeah. crazy that way but um <clears throat> but uh that's the that's the goal so it' it's, it's kind of like you know i I always refer to uh, Paris versus Paris as sort of the Boston marathon mm-hmm. of of it's it's what many aim to do, but it's also i mean just like the Boston marathon it's not the only thing that p you know, not everybody who runs a marathon wants to go to Boston. Some of them just want to run a marathon mm-hmm. so again once the other thing i I really like about this sport is. It, it can attract cyclists who only want to ride 200s. Maybe they want to do one or two or three a year, right? Or maybe they want to do a 200s and 300s, but you know, a lot of people don't like riding through the night. So the concept of doing a 400-kilometer ride, which you have 27 hours to do, right? So you can't do that without riding through the night. Um, you know, if that's uh, not your thing, that doesn't mean randonneering not your thing, right? Because mm-hmm. those 200-kilometer brevets are really fun. Uh, the 300s yeah. are actually my favorite. Uh, 400s, I think are the, are the hardest, right? The 400s because it's 27 hours, but it kind of feels like it's a 24 hour ride, right? So that's uh, the, so that's the cutoff to... for
0: a 400 is 27 hours. That's right. 27 hours. That seems pretty tight to me. I mean, I'm not upper echelon. Cyclist you slow down, you
1: slow down at night, but, but you can do it. Yeah. Um, and then you get to 600, right? Once you get to 600, you, now you're, you're planning a sleep stop, right? So very rarely are you running a, a 600 kilometer ride continuously, right? So usually you'll look at a 600 again, uh, uh, you know, I love, I love the strategy of, you know, the pre-ride strategy is looking at the course and going, where am I going to sleep? Right. I start, I start looking at that. I want to break that 600 up into like three fifty, two fifty, 350, 250, right. Um, or, you know, 370, 220, right. Maybe break them up like that. So, So now I'm planning to ride efficiently on day one so that I can arrive at that. Let's say I find a good spot. It could be a hotel or or it could be a picnic table at a public park. Um, Or it could just be I'm going to ride until I'm tired and I'm going to pull over and sleep behind a tree. Um, That's not really a plan, but, you know, it's (laughs) going to be what you do. It's just like bikepacking. Um, But I want to ride efficiently. So that when I do get to that point, I have enough banked time that I can sleep because the clock mm. doesn't stop. Right. Right. So with the 600 kilometer Brevet, I have 40 hours. So the last one, well, the only one I did uh, was that one I was just talking about. It started at five in the morning. So if my math is correct, it ended at 9 PM the following. So it's five in the morning on Sunday. We started, we had until 9 PM on the Sunday to finish. And so what we the way that we broke it up was we said well we're going to go from windsor to london to godrich and that was 370 kilometers i rented a you know a, a cheap little crappy hotel i don't want to pay a lot for a hotel i'm only going to sleep two hours in right yeah um so cheap crappy hotel in uh in godrich oh there are no crappy hotels in Godrich, but <laughs> this one was cheap and uh yeah we, we we parked our bikes there uh, i was you know had a quick shower i had uh, a spare set of clothes there and uh slept for a couple hours we were on the road again by 5 a.m like we we arrived at midnight i was in bed by one up at three breakfast rolling at 5 a.m and uh you know just to to you know again make that that 9 pm cutoff so it was two days of of pretty solid riding
0: yeah that's pretty uh, intense actually like yeah yeah and i guess i mean the speed the speed at which you're covering that distance s- seems really fast but you're not like there's no logging roads and single track and nope. yeah that's right So that, yeah. that kind of makes sense and the road bikes are so much faster <laughs> so that's right faster. i mean
1: you're you're on a you're on a relatively fully loaded uh a slacker geometry probably road bike i probably, I, mean, I so would probably take
0: a gravel bike on something like that yeah that Gremel's would be pretty my, common get, again get it. it
1: gives you that all-road feel yeah. I ride a, a a pretty light gravel bike I have a, a checkpoint al uh, not the alR uh, so it, it maxes out at 38c tires and that's what I run and uh, it's it's perfect uh, right slightly slack geometry not not a not you know sure I could show up at a Tuesday night crit race with it but you know, it's not exactly the tool for
0: the job <laughs> right yeah well, that's the problem. there's so many tools, yeah exactly. Like, there's so many all tools. precision instruments yeah, yeah, and it's just it's funny it, you know someone someone gifted me some some uh tires actually in a drive. Darren madley. I keep thanking this dude because he's just saved my ass but uh I, was just, I took him for a shakedown tonight, and it's like um it's a beautiful tire man like it's just it's a two point6. Um, Mezcal, and they're just like th- th- that amount of volume. As that'll probably be my go-to volume now. And even if I were to do yeah around around ring, I'd probably ride the same tire. <laughs>
1: i've known i've known like 650bs i've seen um the problem i would say with a 650b tire something sort of non-standard why i would say 700c is kind of the way to go it's just again with when it comes to camaraderie um if if i go to swap out a tube and my valve has failed yeah and i and i want to hail a fellow rider and be like yo um got a tube you know like so i had this issue where uh, i run tubeless but um, I think I was just really stupid and dopey at one moment. And I, wa- I was walking my bike across a really busy intersection and I ran it down into the ditch where there was a, a protruding manhole cover. And that oh, corner God. of that manhole cover just knocked my tubeless tire right off the rim. Right. Oh, so, God. so just sealing everywhere. And, and I'm just like, okay, I can either f- try to fix this and reinflate it with a seal, uh, or I can put a tube in it and, and go from there. And I put a tube in it and the tube that I had, the valve had completely failed. And now I have no more sealant anywhere. And, and, and so now I'm, I was 275 kilometers into what was my first 300 at the time. So I really wanted to finish this. I was at the point where I was like, I could actually walk my bike and still get there. (laughs) Because I was doing really well that day. So. So that was a consideration. It was either that or because I was sitting at McDonald's, I was like, I wonder how many French fries it would take to fill my tire to the point where I can ride so <laughs> you know, How many large fries. fries is that? Yeah, like, <laughs> what, what do I have available to me? But then it occurred to me, wait a minute. Like, we've got 25 kilometers to go. And I've, and I've got, you know, one of my, uh, my ride mates, uh, Michelle, like he hasn't gone anywhere. He's sitting there with me watching me, you know, fail here. And I said, do you have a tube for me? And um, and I and I used his uh, his spare tube. Now he runs uh, thinner tires. He was running 25s. I was running 32s at the time. So yeah. I just I didn't want to burst his tube. But I was I was careful enough that I'm like, okay, this will get me home, right? Yeah. So yeah, we just rolled slowly. Um, got there two hours later than what I thought I would get there, but you know, four hours before our cutoff. Again, we were doing really well that day. But um, if I was running 650b tires, like. Mm. Sorry,
0: that's an interesting consideration, you know, like yeah, 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 definitely oh, that sounds like yeah, again
1: it's it's yeah, it's not about just what I need, but it's kind of like like, what do I have available to me right right I'm not expecting people to give me their tubes, but I don't want to design myself a solution that where that's not possible, yeah, so yeah, it's a consideration
0: well, oh, that's cool, it sounds like it has everything, it's just another flavor of adventure, really, I mean it's got the camaraderie, it's got. Um, you know a time limit, which I think is is interesting. Yeah, um, you know it's got yeah, the checkpoint just, thing. It's, it's got it's a bit of a puzzle still. You know, like
1: yeah, I love I love the puzzle. That's my uh, you know the, the, the pre riding puzzle. Um, I like you know and and no plan survives first contact with the enemy, right? I mean i I did a, a one thousand kilometer rivey this year. It's over three days, and I had this thing planned. You know, I had a spreadsheet and the spreadsheet told me when I would arrive at every checkpoint and how long I would stay there and therefore when time I would depart and how much banked time that would get me yada, 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 yada I stared at this thing all winter because I knew I would be riding this ride in June and I I knew in December I would be riding this thing in June so it's all I thought about and planning for 15 minute breaks over 3 days riding 380 kilometers per day I mean that was stupid <laughs> like even the first one was 20 minutes and then it was 26 and then it was 28 and i just thought okay this is what we're doing now like it's still good that i planned it it's and, and i still knew exactly where we should be i was able to to tell our you know we had uh, uh some, some support that was helping us at checkpoints um i was able to to, to help them along that way but I mean, half of it is planning before you go. And the other half is reacting to what's actually happening when you're out there. Yeah. And, uh, and the combination of the two makes for a really good adventure. And, uh, you know, I think one of just the, the only stark difference between that and bike packing is, uh, Randonnearing predominantly road.
0: And I was, I'm just thinking this, this like, uh, and I'm just gonna, do you feel safe? Do you actually feel safe on the road? Cause a lot of people don't feel safe. And I don't blame, yeah. I don't blame them because actually our, our friend Kyle got struck by a truck. Um, yeah, just a few days ago. I think, I think a it's a ago. fair
1: concern. Um, <clears throat> certainly I appreciate that there's an attraction to off-road that is hugely motivated by being away from pickup trucks and, you know, all those evil cage monsters. Um, the routes that randoneering tends to provide are, are created with safety in mind. Mm-hmm. I, 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 help create a lot of the routes for our club. So I can only assume that all the principles that we apply to our routes are, are equally applied everywhere. Um, so we're not sending people down, you know, Bloor street in the middle of the day in Toronto. Um, rather, you know, in, in, in fact, in Toronto, a lot of the brevets that start in Toronto start on the peripheral of Toronto, uh, just so you can get out of the, the urban mass as quickly as possible. Like within 50 kilometers, you could be out in the middle of the country. Uh, so, and then, and so you're a little bit safer in, in the, on those roads. Um, there's not a lot of gravel. Gravel would be safer from traffic, but uh, you know now you've got a whole other bunch of issues that you need to pack for, right? you know maybe a whole different bike. So so there there's that. But yeah, we we try to to pick quieter roads um and and of course the the gear. So so many randonneurs have have bikes that have uh, dynamo hubs. So, you know, just like an old touring bike, they're uh, they're going to be well lit certainly at night. There's a requirement that you must have a reflective vest with you even if you're riding a brevet. That starts after sunrise, and you plan to finish before sunset. Yeah. Um, you must still have this reflective gear with you because if you don't finish on time, you're probably going to be in the dark, and you should have it with you. Certainly for rides that are longer than that, the 300s, the 400s, those things that will put you in the dark, yeah, you absolutely have to have reflective gear with you. So in that respect too, we're encouraging safety because you know this is how we ride at night, right? We're we're totally reflective. I wear reflective gear on my ankles. I have a reflective vest. Um my bike has reflective tape on the front and back and uh and it's lit up like a Christmas tree.
0: All right, that's cool. I mean, that's cool that it's a consideration
1: cuz you know. Yeah, it's it's really deeply part of the the culture.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's good that it's considered cuz uh I haven't had any really sketchy moments on the road really. But it can be unnerving and especially if if you're you're sleep deprived and you've been on the bike all day and you're yeah. 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 And you know what? It's not just you being sleep deprived. It's other people too. Right. Um,
1: yeah, there, there's, um, there's a road that goes through the Niagara region and wine country. And, and we've had some discussion, uh, about that road. And, you know, is this the place to be riding through the night when people have been, you know, sipping wine and, and there's a lot of pubs out there, you know, is, is this where we want our, our, uh, our cyclists to be. So, again, it's it's uh, it's a consideration.
0: Um, shout out to your club. What's the name of your club?
1: Well, I'm in Ontario, so my yeah. club is Rendoners Ontario. Um, but, uh, you know, across Canada, there are you, – you can find – uh, a randonneering club in in any province, you know. There's there's a randonneering club in Nova Scotia. There's certainly one in in Quebec. We have ours in Ontario. The Ontario one is split into four chapters actually, so so that we can sort of provide regional support, right? So in in London here, I'm part of the Huron chapter. We have the Toronto chapter, the Ottawa chapter, the Simcoe chapter, and heck, if we could find some randonneurs up in Kenora and Sault Ste Marie and Thunder Bay, maybe we'd start a chapter, you know, up up in northern Ontario. So if you're out there, uh, uh, you know, Manitoba's got a chapter. Uh, BC certainly has a chapter. I think they like climbing a lot more than we do, or they just don't have a choice.
0: <laughs> don't have a choice. <laughs> so, and, and
1: then even in, and then you go to the U.S., right? So U.S. has a governing body, Randonneers USA or RUSA. Um, and, you know, in in literally any state, um, like I know of the San Diego Randonneers, the New Jersey Randonneers, there's the Detroit Randonneers. So I think if I were somebody who wanted to get, started into randoneering. and you know i would just google my locality and randonneering uh in and just see what comes up
0: well let's just consider ontario so if someone in ontario listens to this and they're like oh that sounds like a cool gig who should they reach out to there
1: you go. Um that's the website the schedule is there all the contact info is there uh there's a mailing list there's a slack channel uh yeah that's uh, i i would i would have a look at the schedule and just you know and, and then reach out to uh, the local chapter VP um, in the contact thing, and just say, "Hey, I'm in your area, and I'd love to uh, maybe join the next brevet. What can you do for me?"
0: And is there like a randonneur Canada? Is there a higher not in the, to the local not country? in
1: the official way that there is in the U.S. However, uh, what was really nice to see this year at Paris Brest Paris was that uh, one of the things that was really important. For, uh, for Randonneurs across our country was to be able to find each other at this big event. And uh, and so we ordered, we we all, all the clubs came together and, and ordered a, a, a special Randonneurs Canada kit, right? So like, you know, red and white, it says Randonneurs Canada, and optionally you could have side panel on the kit to say what province you were from. And that was really nice to see because I think that's the a really good form of unity that, that we had across Canada. So you would be riding... In Paris with, you know, 8000 other cyclists, but you would see somebody wearing that red and white, and they could be from Saskatchewan, they could be from BC, they could be from Prince Edward Island. But you would know that it was another Canadian Randonneur out there. Um, And so that was that was nice to see. And that was that was the the provincial clubs coming together and, and sort of making that happen. But in terms of governing bodies, all Randonneering clubs really report back to France. Um, oh, interesting. There's so a, there's
0: actually quite the organization around it all. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a lot of, there's a, there is a lot of structure. Um, it, there's, a, the, the governing body is the Audax Club Parisien or the ACP. So they're the ones that uh, that oversee, you know, like a, like a Brevet is an actual thing, you know. It's, it has to be done in a certain way. Yeah. They delegate the running of these to the clubs uh so the clubs will run a brevet but then they you know they'll take the results and say you you finished this brevet in 10 hours and five minutes fred finished it in 11 hours and 35 minutes and all those results go back to france so and it's it's all because they want to make sure that if you're gonna come to paris brest paris which is their big event that you've done the brevets in a in a way that is certified and that, you know in and and uh and that you, you know that it's authentic so that it's not just you know well fred set up a ride that's 200 kilometers around from his front door and you did it so you're good um it there's a little bit more that goes into it than uh than just that
0: it's quite the opposite to bikepacking right it's like here's, that is definitely, here's, where, here's yeah. where we're meeting. <laughs> Have
1: You know, but once you get into it, when when you're doing the route, that's what it feels like, right? So, yeah, sure, behind the scenes, yes, there's a lot more structure and, you know, it has to go back to France and your name is probably sitting in some white book in some, you know, dungeon in Paris. But you don't have to really know all of that, right? To you, it's just, I'm going to sign up for this ride and it happens, uh, you know, three Saturdays from now and I'm just going to get on the Peloton and bike a little bit to get my legs ready. And by the time I show up there, I'm going to ride a 200-kilometer ride. And that, that feels more like oh yeah it's just what's the difference between that 300 kilometer ride or doing the cannonball 300 uh group depart um right in that respect i think there's a lot of similarities
0: yeah no that's cool there's a lot of similarities to it and i think it's just a different flavor right of yeah of um and it it kind of maybe pushes it more into the realm of uh competing with yourself rather than competing with other people like just i need to finish it this is the time you know um obviously someone's going to finish it faster but it that's kind of the way i take bike packing anyway cuz you know i'm not a contender you know, just there's things, cha- ways I want to challenge myself. It, it
1: actually really brought out uh, competitiveness with myself that mm-hmm. I didn't even know was there. So I joined, I was attracted to randonneering specifically because it wasn't a race, right? right. I, I'm, I'm a guy who I like to ride my bike. I don't want to race anybody. That's not why I ride my bike. I like to ride my bike very far. Oh, there's a club that I can join that requires me to ride my bike very far. Uh-huh. That sounds like something that I could do. And then... So I thought, okay, good. I don't have to train to be fast to be a good randonneur. Except that what happened was, then I would finish a Brevet in, you know, like a 200 kilometer Brevet in 11 hours. And I'd be like, man, like that was, that's long boy, you know, these guys that, that, that were sitting at the pub when I arrived have been there for a few hours. They look like they're actually having a lot more fun than I am. Like after the roofing. maybe I, maybe I should finish a bit faster, you know, maybe. And so I got it stuck into this loop of like, you know, sure. Um, you know, being comfortable on my bike helps me ride faster so comfort is speed but but speed is also comfort like finishing sooner Mm -hmm. means i can sleep more at the sleep stop or just you know not suffer as much you know like if i can finish a a 300 in in 12 hours instead of of 16 um, that's four hours of not suffering (laughs) so so i got i got caught into this i got into randonneering because i didn't want to ride fast and now i want to train to ride fast so that i can become a better randonneur. um and so the last two years of of my uh my riding has really been about pushing my own you know performance so that i can i can finish these things faster and what i found is i'm enjoying them more um i can stop longer Mm -hmm. because i can get to the next checkpoint faster Mm -hmm. and then stop more we did this ride in in london that um the ride itself is called the, the Much Ado About Nothing. It's a 200-kilometer brevet. It's named after the play, obviously. The reason it's named after the play is because it leaves from London. It goes 100 kilometers out to a nice Mennonite bakery, very famous, mm. great butter tarts, um, just off the Guelph to Goddard Rail Trail. Uh, and then it goes to Stratford, which is well-known uh, in Ontario to be like a theater town. And so the control there is this pub that's sitting right beside the Festival Theater. So... But to add extra challenge to those who are up to it, uh, what you do is you buy a ticket to a play. And now you're you're under the duress of, like, you leave this ride at 7 o'clock in the morning, but you have this ticket with you that the play starts at 2. Well, now you've just given yourself a deadline. And now I need to get to the 140-kilometer mark of this ride by 2 p.m. Optionally change into some non stinky clothing. <laughs> I was
0: just gonna say, no one wants to sit in a that's, theater.
1: <laughs> that's up to you. Take in the play, however long it may be, but you have to get back to that two hundred kilometer mark by eight thirty. So the last time I did this was, was just in July. Like we didn't get out of the play until just after five. It was five thirty by the time oh. we got back on our bikes. And we had sixty kilometers to go. Now that I mean That's only 20 kilometers an hour average. But you know, what if we hit a red light? What if I get a flat tire? What if, you know, what if, what if, so we were hoofing and I loved the fact that I could do that.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and the, 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 the the randonneur that started this, that said, I don't need to ride fast to do this. I don't need to be fast to do this. Wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, so I don't want to gatekeep here and say that you can't be a randonneur if you're not fast. Um, I think that you can, I mean, what I, what, again, what I love about it is that you get to cover the course however you want to cover the course. And if your capability means that you're going to ride probably the whole day at 20K an hour, that's great. You can do the whole ride. You probably just can't sit for three and a half hours and kill time and watch that play. But you can, you can do the whole ride. But if you want to challenge yourself and you know that you can, you can motor when you need to motor, well, you know, give yourself a, you know, we, we, you know, I just described the play, but we do bowling, we do goal karts, Like, you know, there's, there's things that you can do. Cause again, the, the, it's not supposed to be about just finish the ride and then go home. It's supposed to be about having an experience. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, sometimes we, as the ride organizers, will try to create the experience, but other times, you know, we would just want the people to to find their own experience. Right. So all you got to do is send them to Niagara Falls and they'll find their own experience.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's a really cool way to do it. And, you know, adding, like you said, adding a bit of duress and, you know, you bought the ticket, you need to sit through the entire play. And then to get out of that, that theater seat all stiff and... Cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be the worst. Oh, yeah. And then have to run the ride first, Yeah, the 60K. first ten
1: minutes just getting just getting <laughs> the blood back into your into your quads, right?
0: Oh, <laughs> well, that's really yeah. cool. Uh, I appreciate you sharing all this with me tonight because it's it's uh, something I, I you know, I knew that randonneering existed, but I never really knew what the difference was. And I'm I'm sure there's tons of people out there who who know. I feel kinda ignorant that I don't know, but I appreciate it. It's it's one education. of the reasons
1: why I feel so I don't know passionate about kind of advocating for it like a lot of a lot of people know about it but a lot of people don't know about it i just find that i'm very often kind of explaining what it is and uh and 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 because of the large overlap that i have that, that i believe that it has with anybody who likes any form of ultra because they like adventure because they like exploration because they like a bit of a challenge um You know, it it just it could be another form of all of those things that is just as accessible to them, if not more than uh, than any other form of uh, of bikepacking or bicycle touring.
0: Yeah. And it already sounds like it has a massive community. There's a massive history. So I I think anyone across Canada could find a group to be able to to ride with. Yep.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I, and I, I so I would I would encourage anyone to just at least know of the group that's in your area, right? Go go and and you know if if people are well connected with their own cycling circles, I think they might be surprised to go, oh, you know, I didn't know that these three people that I ride with every Sunday on my local club ride are actually also randonneurs. Maybe they don't talk about it as much. Uh, maybe they're not like me and they just want to talk about it all the time. But <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think everybody should go and have a look at, uh, at what's going on out there and, uh, and go find a long ride to be on and go find some, some cool people to ride with.
0: Are there any events coming up in the fall? Yeah,
1: well, right now, I mean, our club and I, I don't know if all other clubs do this, but we're, we, there was a bit of a pause for that Paris-Brest-Paris, that Paris, right? There's an assumption that a good part of a good portion of the club is going to be doing that um there's still a couple events in the fall we have one we have a few in in september uh one around uh waterloo area in in ontario uh, a couple around toronto and 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 around ottawa um we ride typically until thanksgiving weekend tends to be like the last brevets of the year because after that like it it really starts to get dark it really starts to get cold and and actually formally the the ACP Randonneering calendar ends on October 31st, and they start a new season on November 1st. Because um, I guess it doesn't snow in France. I don't know. Um, really, in in North America, the randoneering season kicks off, gets going in in either late March or or April. Um, now, I'm riding in late March and April it can be cold, can be wet really unpredictable um the the rides tend to be shorter you're starting to do 200s you know kind of in may time frame you know 300s 400s in june and and the like because you know it's a it's a progressive type thing but uh yeah i would say there's still there's still certainly time in in the fall to uh to to find a brevet just to you know see if that's something you want to do and then if you like it then now you've got uh, a goal to set over the winter you know maybe keep those legs warm on the uh on the trainer and uh and then come spring you know get ready to get out there and uh and run that spring uh 200
0: cool man it's all great all educational i learned a lot tonight and i appreciate you reaching out to me
1: and, and yeah I'm, no i appreciate the opportunity
0: yeah you know what i'm really um i was telling some people today it's like um yeah i'm doing this podcast with this this guy about this guy fred about randonneering and i'm going in totally cold and I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but it was wonderful. It was just such a blast to oh, have great, a chat great. with you. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it as well.
1: And- no, I, I loved it. I think, you know, I could talk about this all day. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, if, if, if you ever need me to come talk about it again, like, <laughs> um, you know, maybe, maybe we could do a, another episode. Like I, I, I do plan to do Paris breast Paris in yeah. 2027. Oh yeah. Well, then let um, me know.
0: Like we'll, and, we'll get uh, you on for that. For sure.
1: In fact, in fact, Ontario has, uh, an ultra event called the granite anvil, um, and it's a 1,200-kilometer brevet. And it's it's run around uh, – sorry, I can't remember where you said you were from in Ontario, but I assume you know it all. Uh, it's oh, run around Bancroft. It, oh, it, it leaves, leaves keep- from Ottawa, goes to Bancroft, and it kind of clover leaves out. So it kind of goes like a like 300 from, from Ottawa to Bancroft, and then it kind of you know, loops around this way for 300, and then this way for 300, mm. and then it goes back. It, it kind of has that kind of a path to it
0: that's in Bancroft very, Ontario was the roots of my family. Uh, my, my dad, oh, okay, my well, dad was so, born so in Bancroft. country, right? Like it's yeah. all,
1: it's all hills. Like if you're not climbing, you're descending, but you're never on flat. Yeah. And, and so it's uh, apparently quite challenging. Um, it ran last year, but I mean, I, I was last year, I was really just 200 and a 300. I need, needed to learn how to do this. This year was the year I did, you know, the 400, the 600, the 1000. Like I was like, okay, I can do this now. This is awesome. Um, and uh, so I actually could have qualified for Paris. I just didn't have any plans to go to Paris this year. <laughs> like, it just wasn't in the cards. Yeah logistics um, right that's
0: a big thing. <laughs> the logistics yeah, you, around you, you, this like
1: kind that. of thing that you got to plan for for a couple of years right So I've already told my wife, you know like PBP 2027 like it's it's on the calendar. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to be working from now until then to qualify
0: so, right. And it's good that it's four years, right? Because then you can kind of stack up those events. Yeah, exactly. In, in a reasonable amount of time rather than just trying to knock them all off in a year.
1: It's every ride is training. And oh, yeah, so for sure. It's because every ride I learn a hundred things. Uh,
0: you know what? And that's the thing, right? It's, it's. Um, I, I was talking to someone yesterday, you know, I went for just a short mountain bike ride. And when I got back, I didn't remember it. I, I you know what I mean, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I remember yeah, leaving. Yeah. yeah, I remember leaving the house, and I remember riding a bunch of trail, and I don't remember the ride, and and that. So actually, I would ask
1: you then, what were you thinking about?
0: Nothing, which I think is the point. That was the point. Yeah, I okay. honestly don't. And there's been times like same. Tra- I would ride the same trail in the winter, and uh, it gets a lot of traffic, so you can fat bike it, and and you know you're not pushing through deep snow. But I remember stopping, and of course at night riding fat bikes on the trail in the woods. And Love I, it. I, I looked up and I looked around and I didn't know where I was. I had no idea oh. where I was. And then I knew where I was. I'm on a trail. So I was like, I'm not lost. Yeah, and yeah. then I rode another like 30 feet and I'm like, Oh yeah, there's that stump. Right. I know that stump.
1: Yeah, but you didn't know you were that close to that spot, you know? Yeah. That's that was that's just in that, the, that flow. Really flow right? state. Yeah, yeah,
0: totally. Like I was just, and, and that's, you know, and, and sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes you go for a ride and you can't shake the monkey mind and it just won't stop and then you put the headphones in and yeah. just like it won't stop why won't it stop and then it's so unsatisfying when you get back because often I, riding is like so release. I do, right
1: I do both road riding obviously and then and mountain biking and uh, and more in the mountain biking world i'll have people ask me why do i ride on the road why would i do that it's dangerous or it's just not fun or whatever like, why do you ride in a straight line for 40 kilometers i'm like well <laughs> to get to the 41st kilometer that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh but what i tell them is it's like it's two forms of meditation for mm-hmm. me right there's so there's, there's the road meditation is like i'm going in a straight line and and i don't have to turn for eight kilometers so that's eight kilometers that i don't have to think about anything but mm-hmm. pedaling Right? and so that becomes very meditative because now my mind doesn't have to do anything and and I can I can think about big things and I can you know like I will go out on a long ride and think about work but in a way that I don't have the I don't have the environment I can't just sit here at my desk and twiddle a pencil and think about that same problem right I need to go out and I need to go on my bike and I just need to find a straight road and I just need to pedal and and I can I can work some stuff out that I need to do. When I'm mountain biking, it's totally the opposite. When I'm mountain biking, it's, I can't, I don't want to think about anything except that rock in front of me, that root, that berm, that, you know, like everything is, I have to be very present and, and not distracted. And if I get out there on a trail and I can't shake the monkey mind, um, then I can't, I can't mountain bike because I can't, be present um, I haven't had to actually bail from a ride for that I only I would say once or twice have I have I been like I can't be here right now
0: because no, it's unsafe um, because, <laughs>
1: yeah because like I can't think about riding because I'm so distracted um, often what happens is I'm so distracted that I go out for that mountain bike ride and, I'm, and then all of a sudden just pff, it's like survival instinct no I can't think about all that stuff mm. I have to think about this and so then I feel I had the same experience motorcycling actually I don't do that anymore but it was the same thing when I get on my motorcycle I would notice when I got on my motorcycle after work I had a very short commute to work uh, when I, I lived in Brampton eight kilometers door to door from my home but when I rode the motorcycle home from work I home with a clear head like I felt great mm. uh, when I drove home I still was thinking about that last meeting I was oh, thinking, I was weird? thinking about, because driving Driving is so passive. Like we're not actually engaged in driving. Um, none of us are, I don't believe, because I think it's just such a passive thing. We're very closed off from yeah. the environment. Yeah. Whereas when you're out in it, you know, you can feel the wind, and you know, you're on a motorcycle, and kind of the stakes are a little bit higher. Mm, yeah. um, I think you're, you're a lot. Again, I get into that more like I need to think about that car in front of me, mm. or, you know, and and then I get home, and it's only been 15 minutes, and I'm I feel great. Yeah. So, so that's why I like, I like both. Um, I don't specifically intentionally go out and do one or the other to get into a certain state of mind. I, cause I just do both kind of all the time and it just sort of takes care of itself.
0: Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I ride that trail all the time. So I know where every rock, every route. Yeah. So it's, it's just a, it's just, a, it, yeah. And it's, it's, it could be so inconsistent, but it's, it's so, um, well, I mean, I talk about it all the time, but it's just so important for mental health, right? To just get out and switch off, yeah. and and just, uh, yeah. If it's a technical trail, then yeah, if you could be present for that, it just completely aligns your mind into some into the task, and you forget yep. you forget about all the other bullshit. At yeah, least, the world, at least the world does
1: not ex- exist outside the forest. You know, like
0: yeah. And then I think the the idea too. What I what I find too is. The getting into bike packing has changed the way I mountain bike because now when I, I see people carrying around all these backpacks with three liters of water on their on their back, and I'm like, yeah, I bring a one liter bottle in my in my filter, <laughs> and if I run out of water, I'll just go to the lake and I'll get some more water. And having a frame bag, like I will not put something on my back at all. Like the only yeah, the yeah, only yeah. time on the Tour Divide, I carried anything on my back was when I had it full of candy and I had my little soul nylon bag and I just had it full of like food and donuts and cookies. I, like,
1: I show up for the Sunday group ride and we might only be doing like, you know, 60 to 80 K and I'll show up on the same bike I use for these long rides. And I've got a frame bag and it's full of stuff. I have a tube in there, even though I run tubeless, like I have a tube in there. I got my pump in there. I got tools, um, and, and you know like a cliff bar like i don't know i just have all this stuff right and uh, and so we'll be out on the on the ride you know like like shoulder to shoulder so we be like why do you have so much stuff and i'll just look at their bike and go where's your pump
0: i know like, it's crazy
1: oh, I, I don't have a pump <laughs> okay well damn good thing you're with me then right <laughs> and and where's your extra where's your valve core remover
0: what? What is that? <laughs> I was oh, just using well, mine today. <laughs> you're with me then. That's like. <laughs> uh, funny. I had, a, I had a slow leak in my rear tire and I was like, I think it was the valve core. I wasn't in, but I put some sealant in and I, I was just thinking as you're saying that, like I'm looking at my bike now it's, and I'm thinking that I could probably service almost everything on it. I have all, everything I need other than I couldn't remove the cassette because I don't, am yeah. not carrying a whip and the, and the lug but I, yeah, could, yeah. Oh, I couldn't yeah. b- bleed the brakes, but it's like
1: pedal pedal wrench got me once because oh, my, cleat. My, my cleat was stuck to the pedal.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> but it's just, I, I feel the same way. Cause I've actually, there's one time I was fat biking with a group of guys and dude broke his chain and yeah. it's like, Oh, we'll just get your chain. Yeah. Just get your chain tool out. And we'll, oh, I don't have a chain tool. He'd have a chain tool. He didn't have a chain tool he did not have a pump and it's minus fucking 25. Right. Yeah. And And it's like, no puffy jacket like all of us all of us put our puffies on we got all ready for it you know okay we're doing some maintenance you know we put our gloves back on you know and it's just like you have to be prepared especially in the winter like to to not be prepared in the winter and to have a mechanical and you're so far out and you can't fix something it's like man you gotta carry that you gotta carry their like a puffy jacket survival gear right
1: yep yep like for that so it's Yeah, and you might be well. You know, I'm gonna get all warm, and then I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, that's that's part of uh, you know why I like it. It's it's I don't want things to break down, but I feel great when I can overcome something Mm. like that, right? So if I if I get home late. My wife's like, man, I thought you were only going to go out for a couple hours. I'm like, well, I got out there, you know, and I snapped a chain, of course, at the very end of the trail. So then I had to fix it there. And then I had, so that delayed me by half an hour because I dropped the stupid chain link in the snow and I had to find it. I found it. And then this didn't actually happen. I'm making this up. No, but it's true um, though. It's yeah. But but if I overcome this, right, like I I have a really wicked story now. Yeah. Um and even if I did drop the stupid chain link in the snow and then I had to carry my bike out, at least I'm wearing warm enough gear yeah. to do it. And yeah, no, that explains why I'm six hours late. Yeah. But you know, I got a wicked story out of it.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, right? I just I just think it's like that always be prepared kind of logic. And I've been I've yeah. been I've been out and needed to do something and looked in my kit and was like, Oh my god, my multi tool's not in there. It's like that never yeah, yeah, that I, never happens. Like where's my multi tool? I, I at went home. out on
1: just a ride where I was just like, I gotta go to a ride, and I just took off and uh, and and I got to, like far away from home. And I have I have, I have an issue with massive toe overlap because um, uh. I'm six, six foot three and I have size 15 feet. Right? So, like I don't know if there's a frame <laughs> in existence that'll fit my, my clown feet without kicking my front tire. So I stepped on my fender just at the point where I was turning around, right? So like that's how far out it was. I was literally like whipping around, and I stepped on my fender and I bent the whatever they call them that sticks to the wheel you know
0: like the stanchions that hold the stanchions yeah
1: and i couldn't take the fender off because i didn't bring a tool with me <laughs> like i had nothing i just went out for a ride and i had to call my wife and she had to drive across london and come and get me just because i bent my my fender to the point where i couldn't spin my front tire and i couldn't and i didn't have the tools to remove my fender
0: stupid um, feet
1: and it, <laughs> Yeah, it's stupid clown feet. Um, And I don't run a front fender anymore, by the way. Yeah, fuck that. uh, Um, We'll be riding through the rain. We'll be like, friend, how come you don't have fenders, man? Because my feet are too big. sit there and figure (laughs) that out for a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, um, I'm going to let you go. But uh, I really really enjoyed talking to you, and thanks for educating me and us. Yeah,
1: I'm glad to finally get the chance to meet you. I've been listening to you forever.
0: Oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, when you uh, when you do what do you call it PB PBP
1: PBP Paris Brest yeah. Paris. When
0: you do that, That'll I'll be, I'll be, but... be happy. To, I mean, that's four years from now, so yeah, hopefully yeah.
1: We'll find but... an excuse to talk between now and then. Um, yeah, I mean, every year I'm going to do uh, a 1,000 kilometer brevet, like yeah. I did this year. Cool. Um, there's one next year that goes through Quebec that I'm going to do. The uh, Granite Anvil might be a good good one to talk about. That's yeah. in 2025.
0: All right. Well, maybe maybe even before then. But keep in touch, and uh, I need to ask you one more question before you go. Absolutely. Uh, how do you pronounce your last name?
1: Chagnon. I knew
0: it. I knew it wasn't going to be. I, I I wasn't. It's not Chagnon. It's not. Can you say no. it again? You can say it again. Chagnon. Chagnon. Because I was so thinking. It's like filet mignon. Yeah. You know,
1: filet yeah. mignon or cabernet sauvignon. We know all these words in French. Why? Wow. I am. My family is French Canadian. Yeah. Do you, but you speak I French? Grew up in Ontario. Yeah, I do. Nice. I. I uh, I grew up in Ontario, but uh, I was in French immersion in school, so I learned French there. So when I go to Quebec, like I don't, I don't understand them very well. Like it's hard. Uh, They they have a dialect that I didn't learn in school, so it's very regional. Um, When I was in Paris a couple years ago on vacation, I was like, oh my god, this is the language my teachers were speaking. So um, (laughs) yeah, I I speak French, but I don't sound like a French Canadian. Right. Uh, But my yeah, my last name is French Canadian. Yeah, well, and the other side of me is Dutch, so I was huh. born to be a cyclist.
0: There you go, <laughs> 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 right on, Fred. Well, that's I pre- where that size fifteen feet comes. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. The the height and the yeah, feet, big people. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got big um, people there. Yeah. Well, thanks again, hey, and uh, keep yeah, in, tu- keep lot, in touch. Keep in touch, please.
1: We'll do. All Will right. Do. I'll find an excuse to. I'll just. I'll just start calling being that voice at the beginning of the podcast maybe That'll
0: yeah matter. give me a voice intro <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i'll do i'll do some of those i'll do them when i'm out on a ride please when i'm going through a bad mental patch or something yeah. i'll just i'm calling steve
0: that's that's the best <clears throat> yeah you can call me directly and i'll record it and be a little bit of therapy
1: i'll call you directly i'll be like steve i was just crying on my bike I <laughs> i'd call you
0: I fucking cry all the time man <laughs> <laughs> all right man have a good night yeah you too all right take it easy yeah bye bye I want to thank Fred again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in. You know, I was just about to record this and there's a knock on my door. Those pesky kids are always coming by my door and knocking on it. I'm kidding. I love it. Um, so yeah, Fred, thanks for teaching me stuff, teaching us stuff. I didn't know a lot about the randonneering and now I feel like an expert or a mid-pack kind of knowledgeable person about randonneering um so yeah it was really great to get him on and i hope uh what did he say i can't remember now because i'm doing this outro what the um when the next oh no i can do it. it's four years from now right yeah 2027 there's the paris Press paris that he said he wants to go into so it hopefully before then we'll have him back on and we can shoot the shit some more if you find value in the my Back 40 podcast, please consider supporting me financially. You can head on over to my Patreon and you can subscribe for $5 a month and you'll get early access to episodes. So you'll get early access to this episode before it goes out to the public. I'd like to add more value ads. Um, this is what I'm able to offer at the moment. So... Uh, I really want to thank all my current Patreons. I want to thank Dynamic Cyclist and Redshift Sports. And I want to thank Ryan Draper at Cycling 101. It's it's all of these little things that really help me um, help me to to get the My Back 40 podcast out there and hopefully thrive. So again, uh, the easiest way to support the podcast is to give it a five-star rating and a review on your favorite listening platform. Um, and then also... Just uh, share it with your friends. If there's something in here that you find valuable, um, cycling related or not, or you find it entertaining, you can share it with your friends. I'd love that. So, and don't be shy. Reach out. Send me a voice intro. You can DM voice your voice. Just make sure it's within a minute because sometimes it gets cut off. But yeah, DM me. Tell me what you're up to, where you're riding, what your goals are, what you're thinking about. Because I think it's a great way to connect the community and um, I love everyone I get. And I don't know if I've ever missed one. If I have, I apologize. Um, They trickle in and sometimes they come in fits and starts. Sometimes I'll get a bunch and then sometimes I'll, they'll be kind of random and I won't get a few for a while, but uh, yeah, don't be shy. Reach out and say hello. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I've got more conversations to come. I'm never going to stop doing this podcast. (laughs) I love it so much. Even sitting here talking to the wall right now, which has pictures of my kid on it, kids on it. But, uh, um, it still gives me so much meaning to reach out to you every week and I hope you keep digging what I'm putting out there. So until then, get out there and ride bikes and keep the rubber side down.